Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Starting his brand new series called Sounds Familiar. We're excited for that. Before I jump into that, though, I do want to just share a couple things. One is that this past week we had VBS here, which was incredible. We had tons and tons of kids, I think somewhere between 30 and 40 kids. A number of new families were here. Uh, it was so incredible. Leanne, uh, our kids' director, and her amazing team of volunteers worked tirelessly and effortlessly. Uh, so I just want to give them a huge round of applause for all that they were able to do. Uh, it was funny because it was an 80s themed. You guys, if you were here last week and you saw all the balloons and the posters and all the stuff, and so this morning when I came in and it was all gone, I was like, oh, it's a little less bright inside here. So it was a great time. We had a full house, including E.T. Uh, he heard all about Jesus. It was a great time. So, uh, and then also, I uh, wanted to let you guys know, we're doing another, um, I know Lee, uh, or Kathy talked about the beach picnic, which is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be at North Star Beach, which is at the Back Bay. We did it there because there's free parking uh, and you don't have to drive on the peninsula to get there. So it should be really easy to get there. So it'll be a good time. Uh, but this week, um, if you are so inclined, on Thursday night, I'm going to be hanging out at Moon Goat Coffee, which is one of our favorite spots here in Costa Mesa. If you guys want to come and hang out, uh, there's no plan, there's no agenda, there's no sermon. Uh, if you're new, if you've been coming forever, if you just want free coffee, uh, come hang out with us Thursday night at 6.30 at Moon Goat. It'll be a good time. And uh, they have things besides coffee if you're not a coffee drinker as well. So they've got all kinds of food and snacks, and it's a good, good space. Have you guys been there before? You should go. Thursday. Let's go Thursday. Uh, it'll be a good time. So, all right, so we're starting this brand new series. Are you guys ready? Yes. You guys awake? Yes. You guys have like things smoking at your house like while you're at service? Uh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, hopefully nothing accidentally smoking. Uh, thank you guys for joining us online. You guys may have something smoking in your Traeger or on your grill uh, at home. Thank you guys for joining us online, for being here in person. After service, we've got ice cream and popsicles and and poppers and all kinds of fun stuff like that. But we're starting a brand new series, and we're actually going to be in this series, Sounds Familiar, through the rest of the summer. Um, we're going to take nine weeks, and we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. It holds uh, most of the, the teachings and the sayings of Jesus that we're familiar with. Uh, there's things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that have actually just become part of kind of American vernacular, American conversation, the phrase like, salt of the earth, uh, that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it, there's things about this teaching, this sermon, that we as a culture, uh, not even just us as Christians, but we as a culture are familiar with. But sometimes that's just where it stops, which is why we're calling this, it sounds familiar. It's like, yeah, I think I've heard that before. And so we want to talk about this sermon in a way of saying, man, there's a lot that Jesus taught in here that's really uh, pretty radical. Some would say crazy. There's a lot of upside down, a lot of things that are like, man, is that really, is he serious? Is that really what Jesus expects of us? Is that really what Jesus wants out of us? And so we're going to spend the next nine weeks looking at this series. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know if you guys remember, if you, if you guys had this when you were kids. We would, when we were growing up, um, whenever we had orange juice, 
which we were a big family, so it wasn't very often, but it would come in a frozen can. You guys remember those? And you would like peel the little plastic off the edge and you would drop it in the pitcher and you would pour in water and you had to make sure you had enough water, otherwise it was very tart. Uh, uh, it, It was orange juice concentrate. And I think in some ways, the Sermon on the Mount is like Jesus concentrate. Uh, Matthew's chapter five, uh, chapters five, six, and seven are just this ultra-condensed teachings of Jesus, of who he's calling us to be, the way he's calling us to live, how we should interact and care for and serve and love and forgive and obey. It has the, the Beatitudes in it. It's got all of these really powerful ideas. And so it's a really powerful passage. Um, That's why we're going to take a number of weeks to look at it. But it's important for us to recognize that Jesus didn't teach it over nine weeks. It's not like people showed up for an hour on a Sunday over the next nine weeks. It was all just one teaching that people sat there and and listened and and just it was wave after wave of teaching from Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage you guys today, maybe this week for sure, to spend some time and just read through the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. It's Matthew's. Uh, I keep saying Matthews, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, three chapters. It might take you 20 minutes to read through it. Uh, If you're a fast reader, it may take less. You guys can read it every day this week. But I would love for us just to be able to read through the Sermon on the Mount and get familiar with it because we're going to be taking it apart over the next few weeks and looking at different sections and working our way through because we want it to be more than just something that is familiar. We want it to be something that we can apply So today, what I want to ask is, why should we even listen to Jesus' teachings? Uh, I I know that you're in church. You kind of came prepared to hear a sermon, to hear Bible verses, and to hear teachings that that maybe Jesus had for us. But why why should we even listen? Why should we apply the things that he said? Some of these things are really challenging things. So why why would we even listen to these teachings? Um, I remember when we first started South Hills Costa Mesa, it was almost five years ago, uh, and I remember those first few weeks when everybody that came was there for the first time. Uh, Very few people knew anybody else, and I was meeting tons and tons of people every single week, and and inevitably, I would introduce myself, hi, I'm Chris, and they would say their name, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and I'd say, I'm the pastor, and then they would say something like this, oh, the kid's pastor? (laughs) No. Like, oh, like the youth ministry guy? Like, no, like the, the pastor, like the grown-ups and every, you know, and they're like, oh, uh, you know, and it was just like over and over, and it still happens every once in a while, not as much, but, uh, but there was this kind of moment where you would see they had to make this decision in that moment of like, really? Uh, this guy, like is, A, is, is he saying what I think he's saying? B, is, do I want to listen to this guy? Why would I listen to this guy? And, and sure enough, I'm sure when I got on stage and started talking, they were all just, you know, like, okay, buckle up, here we go. Uh, we kind of have these different ideas, but we have to make these decisions of why or if we're going to listen, if we're going to believe, if we're going to trust. And maybe you've had situations that are kind of similar. Maybe you've had conversation with a friend or a loved one, and they've told you something that's happened. They've told you a story or an experience, and and you've kind of had to decide, do I believe this? Maybe you've gotten medical diagnoses diagnoses, uh, in the past. You've heard things from doctors. Let's just say it that way. I'm on a little bit of DayQuil. I just need you guys to know that. Um, Maybe you've gotten a medical diagnosis, and and, and it's been a serious kind of diagnosis, and you've had to work through that moment of disbelief of, 
is this really true? Could this really be possible? We've all had some challenging experiences where we've had to navigate through if I'm going to believe, if I'm going to believe what this person is saying, if I'm going to believe who this person is. We have the same situation when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, when it comes to his claims about who he is and and the other writers in the scripture, Paul, the apostles, uh, the people that wrote the gospels, we have to decide, are we going to believe what they say about who Jesus is? Are we going to believe what Jesus says about who he is? And so today, I, I thought that the best way to start off a series on the Sermon on the Mount is by not actually looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so we're going to see how that goes. What I want to do is I want to look at the two verses at the beginning of Matthew 5, which is where the Sermon on the Mount starts, and I want to look at the two verses at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I just want to kind of get a picture for the people that showed up and what the impact of this sermon was on them. And I want us to process through that because I think that we have a decision to make in this process as well. And I don't want us to, to read through this over the next nine weeks on Sundays and then kind of consider this. I want us to start off wondering, asking ourselves, why should we listen? What do we believe? So in Matthew chapter 5, um, we're going to have a lot of these verses on screen. Uh, if you guys are watching online, we'll have the verses there as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, One day, as he, talking about Jesus, as he saw this, the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And then he goes into the sermon. So we're just looking at these first two verses. So Jesus sees this crowd gathering. He goes up onto a mountainside. The disciples gather around him, and it says he begins to teach them. Uh, and it's interesting because there's crowds of people, and then there's also the disciples. And Jesus is teaching the disciples, but he's doing it on a mountainside. And a lot of times they would do this because it would help project sound, and everybody could hear it. So there's two groups of people. There's this, this committed group of people, these, these disciples, and then there's also this crowd. And Jesus is teaching to his followers, to these committed 12 disciples, he's teaching these lessons of this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to, to live the way that I have created you and desire for you to live. But he's teaching these lessons in a way that invites everyone else to hear. Everyone gets a glimpse of this. Um, and it's interesting because I think that for us as a church, as South Hills, we we really have this same hope. There's people that are here. Maybe you are here this morning. Hopefully you are here this morning. Uh, or you're watching online and, and you've made a decision. And maybe it was a long time ago and you've been following Jesus for years. And maybe it's uh, something more recent. But you've made a decision. Say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I want to accept God's grace in my life. And I want to live the way that Jesus modeled for me to live. Um, and you would be part of that committed group. And then there's other people that come to South Hills and, and maybe watching online and, and just kind of testing out the waters. They want to come close enough, this crowd, I want to hear what they have to say. I'm not sure if I'm all in yet. I'm not sure if I totally believe yet, but, but I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to see, does this make sense? Could this actually change or affect or help my life? Is there an answer here, something that I've been searching for or longing for in my life? There are these two groups, the crowd and the committed and it's important for us to recognize that. I think just as a side note, it's important for us to recognize that because a lot of times I hear people, I hear Christians talk about how upset they are that everybody doesn't do things the way that the Bible says to do things. 
Um, and I've never totally understood that because if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't live this way. I struggle to live this way and I am a Christian. It's challenging, it's difficult. Jesus is teaching his followers, this is the way I expect for you to live. And everyone else is invited to put their trust in Jesus and to follow that way. But this, this teaching is for the people that have come to put their faith in who Jesus is. So Jesus goes on and he teaches over the next three chapters these powerful, revolutionary, and radical teachings. A lot of these teachings were really radical at the time. Uh, and a lot of these teachings are still really radical today, some of those for very different reasons. These really powerful, kind of upside-down teachings, these extreme and countercultural ideas to both groups, the crowd and the committed. And it's important that we understand, like, man, these, these are big commands. These are, like, life-changing teachings. These are passages that really... Is he serious? Is this like a metaphor, or does he literally expect us to do these things? And it's important for us to recognize that in ourselves. We ask those questions. I ask those questions. Is this really how Jesus wants me to live? Is this really how Jesus wants me to interact? And this is what the crowd was asking that day, but probably this is what the, the disciples, the committed, were asking, and this is what we can ask as well. And at the very end of, of Matthew chapter 7, the last two verses... It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. The crowds were amazed at his teachings. The people, all of the people that were there to hear, not just the committed ones were like, okay, I got my sermon notes and now I know what I need to do, but everybody was amazed at his teachings. And it says, he taught with real authority. Um, not like uh, their religious teachers, the teachers of the law at that time. This word authority uh, is the Greek word exousia. Everybody say that together. Exousia. Sounds like a Harry Potter something. Uh, exousia. This is the word that's translated into authority. This, this Greek word, it, it's not just like... Um, like an authority, like a common authority like we would understand. It's, it has this meaning, this idea that it dem his teaching demanded allegiance. Not like he said, I require you to show me allegiance. But the authority, the way that he taught, it was with this gravitas that people just couldn't help but be amazed at the authority, at the truth, at the life uh, 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 what was in the teachings that he gave. That there was some way that he taught that just everybody was, it says in the scripture, they were just amazed. Now you guys, you come here on Sundays, you watch on Sundays, you're a part of South Hills and sometimes it's okay and sometimes you're like, well, we can at least go to lunch when this is over or you know, whatever the thing is because there's, you know, when I teach, I learn, I take scriptures, I take Jesus' teachings, I read other books and theologians and, and, and these other aspects, and I, I share what I have learned and what I've experienced in my own journey. This is, this is how I've come to understand this. When Jesus teaches, there is this power, this exousia that happens that compelled this allegiance from people. And then it says, uh, after they realized that he taught with real authority, unlike the religious teachers of that day, you know, at that day when rabbis or teachers would, would teach their lesson, they would kind of share 
the history of where they learned this from, kind of like what I do. They were like, well, my rabbi taught me that this is what this means, or I went to this school, or this tradition, or this, this path is how I've learned, uh, and so here, I'm gonna share that information with you. And what they're saying here in this passage is that Jesus teaches with real authority. It was unlike what the religious teachers taught with. Uh, one of the parts of being a pastor is that I get to officiate weddings, which is always fun. A few weeks ago, a couple in our church got married, and, um, and uh, I got to do their wedding. And when we were talking to them about it, um, they asked if my wife, Ez, could also officiate their wedding. So if we could officiate it together. And Ez was not happy about it. Uh, but she loves them. They're really good friends. And so she said, whatever you guys want, we'll make it happen. And so we get up there, and obviously as is always the best part of everything that she's a part of, and we officiate the wedding. But at the end of a marriage ceremony, there's this moment where the pastor says, by the authority invested in me by the state of California and as a gospel, uh, minister of the gospel, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And that's like the legal thing, right? That's what I get to say. And so I was up there, and I was like, well, by the authority entrusted to me and by the blessing of my wife, we now <laughs> pronounce it, you know, uh, which was fun, and everybody had a great time. But there's this moment where... I'm able to do, the, to do this because there's an, an authority that has been entrusted to me. I get to take something and I get to pass that on. This is not what Jesus was doing. It's not that Jesus was taking some information that he had learned and passing it on. There's this moment of wonder, this moment of gravitas, this moment of exousia, and everybody was drawn in because it's not like he was sharing some of the authority that he was, was kind of uh, just passing on. It's that he was the authority. The other teachers would teach by authority that they had been given, but Jesus taught with authority as, as the source of life, of truth, a profound and radical new understanding of who God was and, and the way he intended for people to live out his law. A lot of people wrestle with this question of, is Jesus God? They wrestle with this question, and especially now with the internet and YouTube, and, and there's so many resources around this. There's so many videos and teachings, and, and some of it's amazing, and some of it's not amazing, and there's information on all sides, really convincing arguments kind of all over the place. There's a lot of questions about, is Jesus God? There, there's a few different kind of perspectives on this. Uh, I don't have time to go into detail on them, but there's what I kind of grew up, it used to be called like a new age kind of perspective, and now I think it's more referred to as like a modern spirituality, like Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle, and, and just this different uh, perspective of, of Jesus being an enlightened teacher. He said some things that are very smart, very powerful. He was this amazing teacher that had some sort of enlightenment, and we don't really know exactly what that looks like, but, but that's who Jesus was. There's other religions, um, like in the Mormon church and Jehovah's Witnesses, where they believe that Jesus was a prophet. Um, he wasn't divine, he wasn't God, but he, he spoke on behalf of God. God chose him to speak on behalf, and, and he had this prophet view. There's, there's a secular view where there's a lot of people that, when they read the Gospels and academics, they look at the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and they've decided that about 80% of what's in the Gospels is probably never happened. The miracles and different teachings and things that were said, about 80% of it just didn't really happen. But what none of them 
are doing is, is asking whether or not Jesus existed, they're all having conversations about if Jesus was God, if Jesus had that authority, if Jesus had that, that reality when he was teaching. None of them were denying that he existed. It's a question about, is Jesus Lord? There's so many religions and so many belief systems that have respect for Jesus and Judaism and Islam and Mormonism and, and at the same time maintain that he's not God. And so the question that I want us to ask today before we jump into these teachings is who do we believe that Jesus is? Which may feel like a silly question for me to ask a bunch of people at church that may consider themselves to be Christians, uh, to be followers of Jesus. But the reality is, is that I need to continue to ask myself this question on a regular basis because there's always other things that start to compete for my allegiance, for my belief, for what I prioritize, for how I make decisions. And I have to continue to wrestle with this question. I think we all need to wrestle with this question whether you may consider yourself to be a part of the crowd or the committed. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? The first church believed, um, the people living just a few years after the resurrection, a lot of people assume that the gospels were written first and then the rest of the New Testament letters like Colossians and Ephesians and things like that. But, but actually, a lot of those letters were written by Paul before the gospels were written. Some of them written as early as about 10 years to 15 years after the resurrection. And these are accounts, these are letters that are being written and sent to people that were alive the same time that Jesus was alive. And they're sharing stories about people that lived with and interacted with and heard the teaching. Some of the people that maybe even sat and heard the Sermon on the Mount were able to share, here's what Jesus said. And, and it's this powerful experience. And, and some people uh, have made claims that you know, this idea that Jesus as divine didn't happen until way later, but the very first followers of Jesus believed that Jesus was Lord, so much so to the point that many of them actually ended up giving their lives on God's behalf. In Colossians chapter one, it says this, it says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. Colossians was a letter that was written to a church in a, a city to explain who God is, who Jesus is, and this connection. In chapter two, it says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of who God is, is as all-powerful spirit God lives in physical form in Jesus. And in Philippians 2, Paul, writing another letter to another church, another group of believers, he says that Jesus, who was being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In Hebrews, it says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. So he's saying, you know, Jesus was just recently here with us, he was crucified, and a lot of you guys were here at that same time. God made the universe through Jesus. He goes on and he says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then another letter that was written, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, you can imagine them kind of gathering around to hear more of these teachings, hear more of these stories, these experiences. And, and Paul writes, he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So to the, the very first Christians, the very first followers of Jesus, it wasn't really a question of whether or not Jesus was Lord. It wasn't a question about the authority that Jesus had. The Sermon on the Mount isn't the only place. Uh, in, in John chapter 5, there's a, a story about Jesus doing miracles on the Sabbath. And in verse 18, it says the religious leaders tried even harder to find a way to kill Jesus, for he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his Father, therefore making himself equal with God. There was like this understanding, part of the reason why they wanted to kill Jesus is because of the claims that he was making. All throughout the scriptures, Jesus continually claimed authority and spoke and taught with authority. And I can't read all of these verses, but I do want to try and give you an overwhelming sense of some of the things that Jesus said that communicate this authority, this power that he had. Jesus claimed to create the Sabbath and that he had the authority to update the Sabbath. He claimed to be equal with God. He claimed whoever saw him saw the Father. He doesn't correct people who treat him as God. He claims having pre-existence, that he descended from heaven. He claimed to be replacing the temple where God's presence resided and forgiveness of sins occurred in the temple. And Jesus said that he is uh, becoming this temple. Uh, he, uh, he claimed to have shared glory with God before the world even existed. He claimed he would send his angels places. He claimed the authority to forgive sins. He assumed the authority to judge the world, that your attitude towards him would define the judgment you receive at the end of your life. He claims to be sinless. He took the divine name, this, this holy name that the Jewish people uh, called God, the, the great I am. He took this name on himself. He taught people how to pray. He did incredible miracles to show these things over and over again. Jesus is doing these things to say, I am Lord. I have the authority. And we have to decide, why would we listen to Jesus' teachings? We have to decide, do I believe that Jesus is Lord or not? Um, C.S. Lewis is a famous writer. Um, A lot of people know him as a Christian writer, but he actually was an atheist for um, a large part of his life. He didn't become a Christian until he was in his 30s. And uh, it was a, a journey of kind of learning what that looked like. And he wrote this after he um, started following Jesus, he, something called the, the trilemma. Uh, basically, he, this is what he said. He says, Jesus claimed to be God. His claim is either true or false. If it's true, then he is God. If the claim is false, then he either said it knowing that it was false, in which case he's a liar, or he said it not knowing it was false, in which case he was mad. Therefore, we're left with three logical options. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And I think there's this part for us where we would never really believe some of these options, but in the ways that we practically live our lives, the ways that we hear Jesus' teachings, and they sound familiar, but we don't actually decide we want to follow those teachings, the ways we kind of pick and choose what we want to do, I don't know that we always live, and myself included, I don't know that we always live with this belief, with this understanding, holding on to this truth that Jesus is the Lord. There's three understandings of this word, the Lord. Um, 
in the time of Jesus, there was kind of three ways to understand this word, three ways it was used. The first was as a sign of respect, like you, know, you might use like sir or ma'am today. You would use the word Lord as a sign of respect. The second one would be for a, a leader or one in authority or if, uh, if you were a slave and had a master, if you were indebted to someone, then you would call them your Lord. They were your Lord. You owed them this debt. And then the third way was as a substitute for the word Yahweh, which was this word for God. Those were the three ways that this word Lord was used, and we have to wrestle with what do we believe about who Jesus was? Do we believe that Jesus was Lord? I think a lot of us, I know I would quickly say, of course I believe that. I'm a pastor. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I believe that. And a lot of Christians would say, of course I believe that Jesus is Lord. But do we really believe it? Do we live by his teachings? Have we placed him as Lord of our whole life or just a feature of our lives? How many lords do we have? Is our family also our Lord? Is our career or our money our Lord? Is our preferences or habits, um, other affiliations? Or is Jesus truly Lord above all things? What if Jesus was serious? What if he actually intends for us to do the things he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount? Are we really supposed to love our enemies? I don't see that happening a whole lot. Are we supposed to pray for the people that persecute us? I don't see that happening a whole lot. Are we supposed to not worry? Are we supposed to live without judgment? Are we supposed to obey? Are we supposed to turn the other cheek? Is it... Is it possible? The audience that heard the Sermon on the Mount, they were amazed at the authority that Jesus held in that moment. There was no question about the authority of who Jesus was and the way that they responded. And I think too often we start to emphasize Jesus' love, but we kind of start to bend a little bit on the authority piece. Almost like Jesus gives really good advice, but I don't know if he totally understands how it works in 2021. Um, Like, yes, love is so good, and I want grace. But also, have you met my family? Uh, Have you seen my neighbors? You know, there's a sense of like, absolutely, like Jesus has so many great teachings, and he didn't have an iPhone. It was a different world. He had different technology. There's different challenges. They don't all carry over. Yeah, we should love others, but it's not realistic all the time. I should turn the other cheek, but I, I only have two cheeks <laughs> or four, depending on how you, how you count. It's a slow burn, I guess. Uh, yes, we should sacrificially serve and be generous and give to others, but Jesus didn't have any bills. He doesn't know what those types of response, like he doesn't. They're great teachings, but they don't all actually apply. I find myself trying to navigate this little web of what is it that I take, what is it that I don't take, and the reality is that I have to decide, is Jesus Lord of all? Do I believe that he has authority and that his teachings are teachings that I should follow? That's the question that I want us to wrestle with today before we get into the teachings. 
we'll look at those, and obviously we have every day to reconfirm or to make this decision, but it's so important for us to, to look at these passages and these verses that a lot of us have read, we're familiar with them, and we just don't apply them to our lives. We just don't try and follow them. And we need to remind ourselves or, or maybe ask ourselves, do we believe that Jesus' teachings are for us today, that they truly are the way he's calling us to live? Dallas Willard, another theologian and writer, he wrote this. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but he said, it's not possible to trust Jesus or anyone else in matters where we do not believe him to be competent. Can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived? There's this piece for us that we try and maybe find loopholes or navigate around like, well, Jesus doesn't totally understand what it's like now. But if we're going to put our eternal trust in Jesus as Lord, We've got to assume that he knows what it's like now. He, exp- he understands what we're facing, the decisions that we have to navigate. Jesus, Jesus is serious and smart, and Jesus has the authority. He is the authority. But what would it look like if we took Jesus at his word? Imagine how different our world would be if the, the people that claim to follow Jesus believed that Jesus had the ultimate authority and we lived our lives that way, the way that he teaches us and calls us to live. We would spend our time differently. We would watch and listen to things differently. We would read and serve and give differently because it would all come through this lens. The one thing that I want us to just ask ourselves and and the question that I want us to wrestle with today is who is Jesus in your life? Is he a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? And this is the question that I want us to wrestle with today. And we get to still go and enjoy our barbecue. We still get to have fun and celebrate and be with family. But as we understand the teachings of Christ and and what he's calling us to do, we've got to decide, is Jesus serious? Is this really how he wants me to live my life? And if we believe that he is Lord, then I would say yes. I said earlier, this word Lord has three different kind of uses in Jesus's time. A sign of respect, a sign of a master, and a substitute for the Hebrew word Yahweh or God. I think our default is like a lot of people in the world, that we think of Jesus as Lord as a sign of respect. I respect the teachings of Jesus. I think he's wise. I think it's good. I don't know if it's practical. I don't know if I can really follow it. I think almost all of us probably have the respect piece down. What I want us to really consider today, maybe for the first time, maybe for some of us that have been Christians for a long time, is is Jesus Lord of our lives? Is he master? Is Is he our one God, that we believe, put our trust in, and will follow his teachings. Let's bow our heads and pray together.
Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.